Amen. Lord, we are so thankful that you indeed are more than just a faraway distant God, but you truly are Abba Father. You're our Daddy, who we can draw near and, and you love us. We just thank you for that. We want to lift up and magnify your name on this Father's Day. We just love you and we praise you. We pray, Lord, as we go to your word now, that you would be our teacher. You minister to every heart that is here. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you, need a, if you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one, so raise your hand. Amen. There won't be any hand. You're going to need the Bible. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Uh, before we do that, though, I do want to uh, say something to the dads. First of all, happy Father's Day. Amen? Happy Father's Day to the dads. Amen. While I want to encourage you, I also want to exhort you. God has called you above all else as a dad to be the spiritual leader in your home. Amen? God's called you to be the one to take the initiative to pray with your wife, to pray with your kids, to set the example in your home. And you know what? I can think of no higher calling on this planet than being a dad. And if you wonder whether or not you're supposed to be in ministry, when you became a dad, you're in the ministry. Amen? And I want to encourage you. Just be, you know, you intercede for your kids. You be the one that prays for them. You be the one that when everybody's tired and doesn't want to get them to go to church, you take the initiative. Amen? When, when your kids are making poor decisions, don't be afraid to step in and be their father. Amen? So with that being said, if all the dads could stand up, I want to pray for you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for each of these men standing, Lord, who, Father, you've blessed them and called them to be your sons, and then, Lord, you've gifted them and blessed them with children. Lord, I just pray that you'd help each of us, myself included, Lord, to be the godly fathers that you've called us to be, to love and serve and minister to our children, to be that spiritual leader in our home. Lord, not to allow compromise in our houses, Lord, to cleanse our homes of whatever needs to be removed. And Father, as be, in being a godly father, may we be godly husbands. May we minister to our wives and love and serve them. May our children be able to look at their dad and see what a godly man looks like. Lord, we know that's impossible without your help. Without you, we can do nothing. We stand here as men desperate for you, asking, Lord, that you would strengthen us, you'd pour out your spirit upon us, enable us, Lord, again, to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Amen. Amen. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Corinth, as we've been talking about, as we've gone verse by verse, starting in 1 Corinthians, Corinth was a city of great wickedness. It was a wealthy port city filled with idolatry and sexual immorality and vain philosophers and they, people were really caught up in the outward appearance of men. I've said it every week, I'll say it again, it's been referred to by some as first and second Californians. Because so often, so much relates to who we are today. Living on the coast, great wealth, but sadly caught up in a lot of immorality. Eyes taken off of God. Idol worship was rampant. And Paul had planted a church there. In the midst of all of this this wickedness in this city, Paul had come and planted a church and it was thriving and growing and blessed. And you know what, that should be an encouragement to all of us in Santa Cruz, amen? That God in the midst of a place that's godless can raise up a godly people. 
But sadly, in the midst of that, as Paul had gone away five years later, he gets a report that the church is falling away from God. That they become more and more like the world. In the world, we're to be in the world but not of it. And sadly, they were compromising in their faith. So he wrote 1 Corinthians, exhorting them again not to stumble one another, not to compromise, not to get caught up in sexual immorality, not to do the things of the world. And again, we hear today so often, we're to be like the world so we can reach them. No, we're not. Amen? We're not to be like the world. We're to love the people in the world and minister to people in the world, but we're not to be like the world. Jesus Christ was not like the world, amen? And he's called us to not be like the world either. And so he exhorted them and praised God that many received that first Corinthians letter with great joy. There was a great amount of repentance that took place, but at the same time there, was, there were those within Corinth who then began to blast Paul. They didn't like the word, so they began to blast the author. There's nothing new under the sun because that continues today. People pick and choose in the Bible. They like the eternal life thing, but they're not really sure about the walking in obedience thing. I want the get out of hell free card, but Lord, don't tell me how to live my life. But you know what? It's either all God's word or it's not God's word at all. Amen? And we're to study and believe and trust in every single word. And so they were attacking Paul because they didn't like part of the message. And so we then see these super apostles rising up. Some of them doubted his message. Others said his message wasn't enough. They were very legalistic. They taught you had to become a Jew before you could become a Christian. So at this point, these many false apostles have crept into Corinth. And Paul writes his second letter to answer them. To, again, bring the people's eyes back on God, but also to answer these accusations that had come against him. We saw him talking about how to stand in the midst of difficulty. We saw just so many great examples throughout 2 Corinthians and we can live in our lives today. But as, as we come toward the end of this book, he now gets even more direct in dealing clearly with those false apostles, the super apostles that the people were being drawn away by quite simply because they liked the way they looked. They liked how eloquent they were. They liked the way that, you know, hey man, the guy's really slick and he presents well and you know what, he must be right. And you know what, we've got to stop looking at the outward appearance and start looking at the heart, as God's word says. Quit looking at how it's presented and start looking at the message itself. And that was Paul's word to the people in Corinth. If you look back in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, or chapter 11, verses 3 and 4, he says, But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he, he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which we have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. He says to the Corinthian people, because someone's eloquent, you'll put up with a lie. You'll put up with another Jesus, another gospel, another truth. And you know what? There is only one way, there's only one truth, there's only one life, and it's Jesus Christ. Amen? And it's not the Jesus Christ that others would teach you. We're not going to go into this in great detail, but there are people that believe that Jesus is the brother of Satan. That's the Mormon church. That's not Jesus. Amen? There are the Jehovah's Witnesses that say Jesus is Michael the archangel. That's not Jesus. That's another Jesus. That's another gospel. Can I tell you that people call me on the phone and leave our church frequently because they say, Pastor Dave, you're so narrow about how we get to heaven. There's got to be more than one path. Give me a verse. For that amen it's jesus christ alone aren't you glad it's so simple and he's saying that the simplicity of the gospel you're going to be drawn away because someone's eloquent or funny or charismatic and he said be careful listen to the message now paul then begins to boast and he calls it foolish boasting 
because he hates talking about himself. Now, this is the first guy I've ever met like that. Because we all love to talk about ourselves. You know what? Again, we all, I've said it before. We're always on our mind. It's always about me, isn't it? And here, here Paul says, you know, I don't like to talk about myself. It's foolish boasting. But you know what? The truth of the gospel was being harmed. And so he wanted to make a clear differentiation between himself and these super apostles. They, they proclaimed that because they got paid a lot of money by the people, that their message must be really good. And because Paul wouldn't accept money, he must be an amateur. They said, look at us, we're good looking and we're charismatic. Paul's a little bow-legged guy with bushy eyebrows and a hooked nose and he's not much to look at. So his message can't be very valuable. And again, they attacked Paul and they attacked Paul and they said they were the true apostles because they had all the outward things around them. But you know what? Again, as the Word of God says, that man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. And in last week's text, we saw him call them, call them false apostles, deceitful workers. Because you know what? The enemy's not going to show up at your house with a pitchfork in his hand and horns growing out of his head and a deep voice saying, come follow me to hell. No one's going to go, right? So what does he do instead? He appears as an angel of light, as it said in last week's text. They're going to come looking really good. Doesn't the Mormon church from the outward look really good? People are loving and kind and their kids are well behaved and you know what? We need to pray for them. Amen? The Lord loves them, but that's the doctrine of the devil. Pastor Dave, why are you being so hard on the Mormon church? Because I don't want you guys to think that when they knock on your door that they believe what you do. They don't. They need Jesus just like we do. Amen? And we need to pray for them and love them and reach out to them because God has a passion for them. But then we saw Paul again talking about this outward appearance, and now he begins to boast, and as he does, he doesn't boast the way most people would boast. He doesn't say, man, you should see some of the stuff I've done for God. He doesn't talk about how great he is. He doesn't talk about his, his, you know, his latest uh, miracle crusade or anything like that. Instead, he boasts in all the difficulty he's been through. Now I'm thinking this is not what I'd be bragging about. But let me read it to you quickly, beginning in verse 23. He said, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting, fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which come upon me daily. Now we want to be Paul, but how many of you want to sign up for that list? Right? I want, to be, I, want Paul's, I want Paul's testimony. I just don't want Paul's tests. Right? And Paul, what Paul's saying is, look, to be a true apostle of the Lord is to be so focused and such, have such a burden and such a passion for people that the physical consequences of this world are secondary. When God's called me, it just doesn't matter. Though he's slain me, yet will I trust in him. Why is it that Paul can go through all of this and you and I get a hangnail and we whine for a week? What's the difference between us and Paul? Why is it that we, we, we get, lose our testimony over traffic? Right? We blow a head gasket over traffic. We blow a head gasket because of our, our boss and our neighbor, and the music's too loud next door, and I'm going to, right? And we just blow it. 
And here's Paul. He was beaten five times. He was scourged. Most people died of scourging on the first try. He, they did it to him five times, and this guy just kept preaching the gospel. He was stoned to death outside of Lystra. They threw rocks at him until they, they believed he was dead, and they dragged his lifeless body out and dropped him on the ground and left him there. And we know God either resurrected him or revived him, and in either case, what did Paul do? He got up and went right back into the city and started preaching the gospel again. I'd have said, okay, that's my torture for a lifetime. I'm done. I retire. Lord, I've done it. Okay, nobody's done this. Okay, there it is. Okay, Lord, I've done enough. I'm going to go lay out by the beach now. That's it. I can stand before you and say, I was stoned to death for you. Who else can say that, right? But Paul just kept on going. You've heard me say of Paul, he was a fanatic. How do you deny a, define a fanatic? He's someone who you can't change his mind and he won't change the subject. And that's Paul. This guy was a one-track mind. He wouldn't change. He wouldn't be watered down no matter what. Now, you might say, wow, that guy Paul, we need more guys like him. You know what? The same Holy Spirit that was within Paul is within every single one of us who've been born again in this room. And God can use us just as mightily today as God used Paul 2,000 years ago. And as we get to chapter 12, we're going to see three things that I believe will be an encouragement to us on why is it Paul could live a life so radical for God? Why could he have such incredible radical faith? We're going to look at what motivated Paul, what kept him humble and desperate, and why he kept going in the midst of adversity. How many people in this room right now are going through adversity in your life? Okay? Here's an opportunity for ministry. Amen? You might not see it right now. It might seem, wow, I can't believe this. But God is sovereign and God is faithful and God is in control and God knows what's going on in your life and God can use it for His glory if you'll just let Him. Amen? And we can give up and we can quit or we can be like Paul. So the three things we're going to look at today, and I, and I titled the message, Fruitful and Faithful in Times of Difficulty. We're going to see sources of true success in ministry. First of all, we're going to see that to truly... Be fruitful and faithful in times of difficulty. We must have an eternal focus. If you're focused on heaven, the things of this world just aren't that big a deal. It really isn't. And we're going to see that this morning. We're also going to see that to have, again, to be fruitful and faithful in times of difficulty, we must remain humble and desperate for God at all times. When you start thinking you've arrived and you can do it on your own, that's when God's going to stop using you. Amen? It's our weakness that He has made strong. And then lastly... We can be fruitful and faithful in times of difficulty when we have a supernatural love and a burden for God's people. We stop being focused on ourselves. It's been said, joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. When you have Jesus first and you put others next and yourself last, you'll have joy. Sadly, many of us have yoge. Right? We put ourselves first. It's all about me and we, can't, we try to figure out why we're struggling. So let's pick up in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, looking at fruitful and faithful in times of difficulty. Again, how? First, by having an eternal focus, a true longing for heaven. Verse 1, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. Again, Paul hated boasting about himself. He didn't like it. Why? He didn't want anybody looking at him. He wanted everybody looking at the Lord. But at the same time, there were these super apostles who were not only bragging about how eloquent they were and all they had done for God, they also were 
bragging about the visions and revelations they were having. About, oh, God showed me this and God showed me that. You know what? Be careful before those words come out of your mouth. Amen? The Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. I've had people tell me on Monday, God told me this, and on Wednesday, they tell me God told me, and it's the exact opposite. So who's wrong? It's not God. Amen? We need to make sure that it agrees and aligns with the Word of God. And God is faithful. Yeah, yes, God does speak to us, but He'll never contradict His Word. Amen? And so we, we, these guys were coming across, oh, we have revelations, and we've seen these things, and, and people were being drawn away to it. And you know what? We have these, quote, miracle crusades today. You know what? We don't need miracle crusades. We need Word of God crusades. You know what the greatest miracle of all is? People getting saved. Amen? You want to see someone's life radically changed, have them have a head-on collision with Jesus Christ. And that's what will transform their life. And that's what we need, amen? And too often what we're having instead is we're looking for the sign and we're looking for the gift instead of the giver of the gifts. And so they were, oh, we have these revelations, we've got all these great things. And now, now Paul, again, reluctantly feels forced into a position where he must boast in what God has done in his own life to get the attention of the Corinthians off the false teachers and back onto Jesus. He says, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. The false teachers, again, were cutting Paul down. All he ever does is share doctrine. All he ever wants to do is talk about the Bible. They call it the Bible then, but the law and the prophets. That's all he ever wants to do. All he ever wants to do is talk about Jesus. Well, we got signs and wonders you got to come check out the signs and wonders. And so here we see that Paul is going to talk about, talk about you know what? You want to talk about signs and wonders? We can talk about signs and wonders. I don't, you know, I haven't wanted to talk about it because I want you to talk about the Lord. I want the focus to be on Him. But so you'll get your focus off of these guys, let me tell you about some true signs and some true wonders and some true visions and a true revelation that came from God that I know about personally. The word vision there is an appearing coming into view. And the word revelation is where we get the word apocalypse. And it's uncovering or laying bare. A disclosure of divine truth or a manifestation from God. You know what? God had revealed great things to Paul. We know this. And we're going to get to this in a minute. But there have been many visions and many revelations brought to Paul. But you know what Paul did? Paul allowed those things to change his life instead of running around bragging about how close he was with God. Instead of saying, man, you want some revelation, you better stand next to me. Right? And there are people doing that today. Talking about how they got this special, unique thing. I went up into heaven. No, you didn't. I've had people tell me that. I went up into heaven. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No man has seen God. You didn't go up and see God. No, you didn't. I went up to heaven and God told me this and put a scepter on my shoulder. And... No, you didn't either. First of all, if I go to heaven, I'm not coming back. <laughs> Amen? And as we're going to see in this morning's text, we're going to see how Paul relates God catching him up into the third heaven and the things that he saw and heard, and how he responds to it. And we're going to see again that it's so different than the way the world does today. Verse 2. I know a man in Christ. So Paul reveals his aversion to boasting because he's talking about himself, and he won't even use his own name. I know a man in Christ. I know a Christian man. And I know that this is what happened to him. In Christ means a Christian. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen? So if you've been born again, you are now in Christ. What a great place to be. Not just knowing about Christ, not just believing in Christ, but walking in Christ. 
having intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. He says, who 14 years ago, whether, says in 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. 14 years earlier. Now it's interesting, I, you know me, I'm a huge student of the Bible. Man, the Bible rocks, if you don't know that. Amen? The Bible is just awesome. I love the Bible. Great stuff. And I, it cracks me up and says, oh, I read the Bible, didn't get anything out of it. What are you reading? You didn't read my Bible. And I say, what's the main theme of the Bible? You haven't read it. Because if you truly read it and have an open heart, God's going to reveal himself to you. Amen? And we need to be in God's word. But listen to this, 14 years earlier, well, guess what happened 14 years prior to this chapter? It's right at the time where Paul was stoned. And so during the time that Paul was stoned, I believe, my, my perspective on this, okay, we don't have concrete proof, but this is my perspective, I believe it's during the time he was stoned, during the time he was left for dead, that he was caught up into heaven. And this is where he gets this vision. Now it's interesting, it happened 14 years ago, and so far he's told nobody. Again, he didn't start having the Apostle Paul Revelation Crusade. He wasn't packing out theaters to tell everybody about his way. He wasn't trying to sell books on television. He wasn't doing anything. He was just, you know what, Lord, you showed me to change me. And too often we think God shows us stuff so we can tell other people. You know what God told me? You need to change. You know what I mean? We do that a lot. God, you know, that was a great message today for my wife. Man, I wish my brother-in-law had been here today. It cracks me up when people, you were here, right? Okay. The word's for all of us, Amen. And so the message had come in and it touched Paul's heart. And these guys are going on about the revelation. And Paul says, okay, let's get our eyes back on God. Let me tell you about a revelation. Let me tell you about a true revelation. Fourteen years earlier, again, had been left for dead. His friends were weeping. And some believe again that it may have been this time when he was caught up. Now the word there, caught up, at the end of the verse, is harpazo. Why do I tell you that? It's where we get the word rapture. Rapturo, harpazo, rapture. And this was like the rapture of the church that we will experience at the beginning of the great tribulation when the church will be pulled away, snatched away, drug away. We won't be here anymore. And then there's going to be literally hell on earth for seven years and praise God we won't be here. But at the same time, this word caught up, it's the same thing that's happening here to Paul. He's caught up into the third heaven. This was not a choice he made. He was pulled up, he was dragged up, he was caught up. Now, third heaven, I want to make it really clear. There are those out there today who teach that there's more than one heaven. Again, getting back to the Mormons. The first heaven is for bad people. The second heaven is for good Christians who aren't Mormons. And the third heaven is for good Mormons. And they get it from verses like this. That's not what he's talking about. The first heaven is the atmosphere, the heavens. Right? The second heaven is the stars and the planets and the third heaven is where God dwells so he was caught up not to the moon he was not caught up in a tree next to some birds right he was caught up into heaven the third heaven into the presence of almighty God and look what he says and I know such a man whether in body or not or out of the body I do not know God knows so Paul didn't know if he had died and gone to heaven bodily or not but here's the thing the Bible tells us, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen? And so what does it say? He didn't go to sleep and nap. He was caught up. Amen? And I love that. 
Because you know what that means for you and me? If you've been born again and you're a Christian here this morning, you're going to close your eyes on earth and open them up in glory. Amen? You're going to open them up and see our Savior face to face. And there's no purgatory and no trying it again and no reincarnation. Praise God for that. Aren't you glad you're not coming back to this place again? Amen? Man, no thanks, right? Going to heaven. I'm heaven bound, as DC Talk would say. And praise God that we're going to see him face to face. And Paul here is caught up, right? That's why I truly believe, and only God knows, I believe he died. And I believe that at that point he was caught up and God revealed great things to him to empower him. No wonder he went back into the city. If you go up there and you see heaven, and you're like, you come back, you're like, hey, kill me. I don't care, right? (laughs) I'm going back. You can't threaten me with heaven. I'm going right back in there and preaching the gospel again. Yeah, throw rocks at me. I'm right here, right? Because again, as believers, when we have that eternal perspective, then the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen? When you turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, that's what happens when we have that eternal focus. All of a sudden, the guy cutting us off in traffic, not quite a big deal in comparison to heaven. Amen? Nothing in comparison to eternity. Instead, we start praying for the guy with a Darwin fish on his car instead of wanting to smash into him. Am I the only one that's ever just... There's your pastor's flesh. Darwin fish, really, survival of the fittest? How do you like, you know, right? No. It's not good. I didn't tell you to do that. Don't do that. Don't do that, right? Hey, I'm confessing openly. See, I'm one beggar leading another beggar to the bread, right? Amen? That's right. But here we see again that that with that eternal focus, our perspective changes on everything. And Paul had been caught up into that third heaven. Look what it says in verse 4. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now the word there for paradise, if you are, again, someone who studies the word, prior to Jesus' death on the cross, paradise was a part of Hades. It was not hell, there was not weeping and gnashing of teeth there, and it was called Abraham's bosom was another name for it. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, he turned to the thief, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And so paradise was a place where those who had put their faith in God, when they departed this earth where they were. Now when Jesus died and he descended into Hades, he didn't go into fiery hell, by the way, amen? Some people teach that, Jesus had to go into hell and be born again. No, he didn't. He said, it is finished, amen? He didn't say, oh, there's part one, I got a few more things to do. That's not what he said. He said, it's finished. But he did go to Abraham's bosom and usher in the believers into the presence of the Father because it was now possible because of his shed blood. Amen? Does that make sense? So paradise is a word now for heaven. Then it was Abraham's bosom, now paradise in the presence of Almighty God. So he was in heaven. He says there, he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, this is interesting. When he saw heaven, he was so blown away that he had no words for it. And yet, isn't it amazing how many people say they went to heaven and come back and give you great detail about it? Can I tell you something? I don't think there's words that can describe heaven. I think heaven is way greater than we think. No matter how great you think it's going to be, it's going to be way greater than that. Amen? No matter how great you think God is, He's way greater than that. I know that's poor English, but, but you know what I'm saying, right? He's way greater than that. And He's more powerful than that. No words, no language should describe what He saw or experienced. 
heard a story of a blind girl. And she had, they discovered a surgery that could heal her. When they had the surgery, they put bandages on her eyes and they slowly took them off a layer at a time to let her eyes adjust to the light. And finally, they got to the point where she could see. And she looked around the room and she ran over to the window and she looked outside and she just started wailing and weeping. And she said to her mom, Mom, why didn't you tell me how beautiful it was? And she said, Sweetheart, I tried. But how do you describe color to a blind person? How do you describe clouds to someone who can't see? You know what? How do you describe heaven to people who are walking around still in these dead bodies? Amen? You can't. It's going to be just... Well, no one's going to get to heaven and go, oh, is this it? I was hoping for something a little better, right? That's not going to happen. We're all going to get to heaven and go, whoa. And you know what? Gold's going to be asphalt in heaven, but I don't think we're going to be looking at the gold streets. Our eyes are going to be on our Savior. And in light of that, everything else is going to pale in comparison. And this is where Paul had been snatched up to the third heaven. Now, again, he's not doing this because Paul wouldn't. But what revelation could you have that would compare with that? I've been to heaven. Oh. I, I prayed one time and a bird got better. You know, I'm, what are you going to do? How do you compare? What can you do compare? I went to heaven. That's it. Game over. Boasting done, right? And so, Paul, you know what's interesting? This is not the only time Paul... How did Paul get saved? Who showed up and appeared to him on the road to Damascus? That'd be Jesus, amen? After he rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, he shows up and greets Paul. How did Paul know to go to Macedonia? God appeared to him in a vision, a man saying, come to Macedonia. How did he know to go to the Gentiles? God appeared to him in a vision. God appeared to him in visions over and over and over, and Paul never boasted in it. Instead, he let it transform his life. And that ought to be, we, we should not be excited about the, quote, revelation so we can feel like we're something super special amongst the Christians and we can go around and brag about what God's shown us and hasn't shown them yet. And I can't tell you how many people I've met like that. Instead, it ought to be touching my heart and transforming my life. Amen? And that's what happened to Paul. How could he be fruitful and faithful? How could he continue to be beaten and stoned and mocked and all these things and keep going because he'd seen heaven? I mean, I got an eternal perspective. I know where I'm going. I'm leaving this thing behind. This is a temporary dwelling place. This just doesn't matter in light of eternity. You know what? When you put all of your problems through that magnifying glass, doesn't it change things? These problems we think are so great in light of eternity, really, they're nothing. It is not lawful. It would be a crime for him to try to even describe. And again, so many today say they've seen it. You know... I love Paul's example, but I also know that the reason he lived the way he did is he didn't just know about God. He had intimate fellowship with him 24-7. And if we want our lives to impact the world around us, we've got to know, do, know, do more than know about God. We need to have intimate fellowship with him 24-7. Amen? And have that eternal focus all the time. Look at everything through the light in the light of eternity. Again, you couldn't threaten Paul with heaven and it's because of our misconception with, of heaven that we grieve for Christians the way we do. Now again, should we grieve? Yeah. Is it okay to grieve? Yes. But how many of you heard this? It's so sad he was taken so young in life. How tragic. How tragic he went to heaven? How tragic he had to leave his dung heap behind and go be in the presence of Almighty God. Don't weep for him. Weep for you. You're still here. Amen? 
And again, we can grieve and we, our heart breaks because we miss people and we love them, but we should not be, you know, guys, if, if I get hit by a bus or die in a plane tra- crash or something, you know, can I say something to you? Have a celebration, please. Because you know what? I won't even be thinking about you <laughs> at all. You can say great words about me and I won't hear any of them. You know why? I'm going to be looking at Jesus. Amen? And just be, be happy for me. And I'll just say, got there first, right, you know? <laughs> and so often we get these bad, wrong perspectives. So why did Paul, why was he fruitful and faithful in times of difficulty? Because he had an eternal focus. Amen? May we keep our eyes on heaven and the realization of the fact that, again, we're going to be in the presence of Almighty God. He says, of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me, or, or to be, or hears from me. Here's the thing. Paul, for 14 years, had re- refused to mention this experience, let alone boast in it, because again, he knew that there would be those who would then start to elevate him. And he didn't want it. He just didn't want it. Don't elevate me. Don't glorify me. Don't put me up on a pedestal. And... and can I encourage you? Don't do that with men. Just don't do it. Only one belongs on the pedestal, and that's the Lord. Amen? Men will fail you. You know, it's sad. A pastor will fall, and that's a tragic thing. It's very tragic. Very tragic. But you know what? A pastor will fall, and you'll see thousands of people fall away from the Lord. And I think they didn't know the Lord. Because if they knew the Lord, it wouldn't be a man that would cause them to fall. Amen? May your love and your focus and your passion be upon the Lord. And he says, I'm not going to boast in myself. I could have blown you away with the many visions I've had, but I do not want to touch his glory. Again, many today make up stories about heaven to sell books, to exalt themselves. Paul had actually been there and hadn't said anything to anybody for 14 years. May we learn from that example. Amen? When you have just incredible intimacy with God, God reveals great things to you and touches your heart. May it transform your life not be an opportunity for you to be arrogant about your walk with God. Amen? May you not be arrogant because you have a spiritual gift that someone else doesn't have. Instead, be faithful to use it. Amen? We're all gifted. We're all called by God. So, fruitful and faithful in times of difficulty. One, an eternal focus. A true longing for heaven. Number two, remaining humble and desperate. For when I am weak, he is made strong. Verse 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now wait a minute, you mean he's got the whole list on the previous page and a thorn in the flesh? We just had about five more people sign out of the, I want to be the Apostle Paul fan club, right? Well, that's enough, okay, I'm done. I'll be a B-postle. I don't have to be an A-postle. I don't want to go through all that, right? And so here's the Apostle Paul, and God is going to keep him humble. And you know what? Because that's where we need to be kept. Amen? We have nothing to boast in, nothing to glory in except the Lord, to point people to Him. Now, the word thorn in the flesh, unless you think it's a sliver under His hand, the word there, thorn, for thorn in the flesh, is the same word for a tent stake or a spike. These were 18 inches long. He didn't have a sliver under his fingernails. He had a f- spike in the flesh. And why? You say, well, wait a minute. Apostle Paul, 
this guy's sold out for God. Why is this poor guy having to go through so much? Because there's always a temptation for all of us to be prideful. There's always a temptation that if God is using us in a mighty way, for us to start to think that we've got something to do with it. For us to stop being desperate. For us to start resting in our own ability. And God said, you know what, I'm going to keep Paul right where he is. Here's how I'm going to do it. Thorn in the flesh. Now, there's been many people who've wondered what that thorn in the flesh is. And there have been many people who try to interpret it. You know what? He doesn't tell us. We don't know for sure. Some believe it might have had to do with his eyesight going back to Damascus when he was blinded. Others people, other people believe it was malaria or stomach problems. But you know what? I believe that God has us not know so that every one of us who has a thorn in the flesh can relate to Paul. No matter what it is. Whatever you've got, you can say, Oh, Paul, I bear witness with you, bro. I know how it feels. I know what you're going through. Now, it's interesting. It says there that it was given to me. Now, this is not the gift I want on my birthday. But this is what was given to him. Now, who gave it to him? It says that Satan was the messenger, but I believe God is the one who gave it to him. Because go back to Job. Remember when Job, you know, consider my servant Job. Satan comes up, the accuser of the brethren. And then the Lord says, consider my servant Job. Look how he's serving me. He says, oh yeah, he's serving you because his family's healthy and he's got a lot of stuff. You know what? If you let me grab a hold of him, he'll stop serving you. He says, you know what? You can torment him, but you can't kill him. And you can't do anything that I won't allow you to do. And we know what happened, that God used it for his glory. I believe the same thing is happening here. This is where God is still in control. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. We don't have to walk around afraid of the devil and afraid of demons. We don't have to do that. Why? Because God's greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We don't have to walk around like that. The battle's been won. Amen. And so, but at the same time, God will allow those thorns to come to keep us humble. What Satan means for evil, God will use for good. Amen? You know what? I hesitate to share it, but I'm going to. I, I hesitate to share it, but I will. I don't want this to come out wrong. But some of you know that in 1992, I got a parasite when I was in Russia on a missions trip that I've had ever since. And you know what? I've gone from praying for deliverance from it to thanking God for it. You know why? Because it keeps me humble. It keeps me desperate. It keeps me going, Lord, help. When I'm studying and I can't, I can't concentrate, I'm like, okay, Lord, you have to do it. And you know what? He always does, and then he gets all the glory. Amen? I'm not thinking, oh, wow, boy, I really blessed your people today. I'm walking in there going, thank you, Lord, for showing up in spite of me. Why? Because that thorn in the flesh keeps us humble. Many of you here have thorns in the flesh of different types. And we're going to see how Paul responds to it. He's going to stop praying for deliverance from it and start thanking God for it. And say, you know what, Lord? It's okay, because this body's passing away anyway. And whatever you need to do to keep my eyes on you, because I'm the kind of guy that will get my eyes off of you, do it. Whatever it is, Lord, do it. And may we learn that it's better to be humble and broken and looking up, regardless of what brings us there. It's worth it in the long run. Because look what he says there, lest I be exalted above measure. Here's the downfall. If there's no thorn, people are going to start to elevate me. If there's no thorn, I'm going to start to elevate myself. I'm going to start taking some of the credit when I need to remain desperate for God. So how does he respond? Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. It's okay to pray that God would deliver you from it. Amen? God always answers prayer. How many of you know that? Sometimes he says no. Amen? Someone say, well, I prayed ten times for that and God never answered. Yes, he did. He said no. 
You know what? He knows what's best for you. Amen? We think that we're supposed to be telling God. Now, can you, can you imagine? I can't imagine me telling God. Me telling God. I don't think so. Aren't you glad God's not a genie up in the sky just granting wishes? What a mess this world would be in. Can you imagine? Lord, just give me, make me, give me, give me. And you look back a month later and go, oh, thank you, God, you didn't give me that. Amen? Pastor Chuck tells a story about how he prayed and prayed for this one woman in Bible college that he thought he was in love with. How God, that's, my, that's the woman, God, and he prayed for her and prayed for her and prayed for her. And God said no. And then God brought him his wife, Kay, who is the love of his life, and he's blessed, and it was the woman. And then he went back to a reunion, and there was this lady that was chasing her husband around the room, just going, ah, 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 ah. and he went, oh, thank you, Lord, for not answering my prayer. You know what? We need to trust God. He knows what's best. Amen? It's like our kids saying, dear dad, you know, if they, imagine if your kids pray to you, dear daddy, let me go play on the freeway. No. Why? Because I know what's best for you. Dear daddy, let me juggle knives. No. Let me have 47 lollipops for breakfast. No. Again, we're asking for the same thing sometimes. Amen? In God's eyes. He says, no, that's going to harm you. And I love you too much to let you have that. Now, he prayed three times. Now, some people say, oh, three times, that's the magic number then. I'm only supposed to pray three times. If God doesn't answer, then I quit. No. You know why he played three times? Because God answered his prayer on the third time. God answered him. And look at the answer, verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul's praying, deliver me, deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. And then the Lord says, my grace is sufficient. I'm gonna make you, you're going to be made strong in your weakness. I'm made strong in your weakness. He says in the rest of that verse, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may remain upon me. My grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient, the word there is to be possessed of an unfailing strength. To have enough to be content. What God gives us is enough. And he says there, my strength is made perfect in weakness. When we are strong, we tend to do things ourselves. But it's in our weakness that we remain desperate and usable by God. Amen? And that's where we need to stay. You know what? This is not the world's... You know, this would not be a good seminar to pet people up, right? They're probably not going to ask me to come to corporate America and say, die to self, right? In our weakness, he is made strong. It's always, you can do it. If you can believe it, you can achieve it. Ah, right? As a guy came to our pack bell one time, he said, everybody say this. This is my mantra. I say it in the morning every day. I sizzle with power and enthusiasm. Everybody say it. What? I listened to the rest of his message. I said, dude, you're going to be sizzling, but there ain't going to be no power or no enthusiasm if you don't get right with God. This guy was so arrogant. I sizzle with, no, that's not the answer. It's in weakness that he's made strong. Amen? It's when we're desperate that God can use us. Why did God choose fishermen and not Pharisees? Why did God choose the weak things of the world to confound the wise that he might be glorified? So if God's using you, guess what? Amen? Praise God. Think about that for a second. All right, verse 10. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So he's taking pleasure in the very thing he prayed for deliverance for. This has been a life's verse for me. Just, you know what, Lord? You brought it. You know it. You're God. You're faithful. I trust you. Praise you for it. 
Amen? When you go through difficulty, those of you who raised your hand before, you're going through difficulty, praise God in the midst of it. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I know that you know. Lord, I know this didn't happen by chance. And you know what? I trust you. And I'm going to keep serving you. And I'm going to be faithful in the midst of it. No longer praying to be delivered from it, but that God would be glorified through it. Because it's through our infirmities, our trials, and our weaknesses that God is revealed. When does your family see God in you most? Through difficulty. When do they see it at work? When do they see it in your neighborhood? Easy to be the Christian on the cruise ship, but how you do when things get tough? And this is the, the greatest opportunity for ministry is in the midst of dis- difficulty. God gives us what is best for our walk and for His glory. May we trust Him in it. As we pray, remember God knows better than we do. We don't direct God like, again, wishing to a genie. He directs us as we openly and willingly submit to Him. A man is a fool who thinks he can direct God. It's foolish. And again, often the greatest answer to prayer is not delivering us from our circumstances, but taking us through our circumstances. I believe the greatest testimony of all is when I watch somebody in the midst of difficulty continue to serve God. And I say, there's God at work. Wow. Amen? You know, the men that I admire most, the people that I, you know, I just really love to read their books or listen to their messages, are the people that have gone through difficulty and have walked with God over a great amount of time. I go, man, there's somebody whose walk is real. Verse 11. Now, we move on from there to an eternal focus, to remaining humble, to having, again, a burden and a love for people. I've become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. He said, you know what? Paul had become a fool in boasting, but he was compelled to do it out of love for them. He didn't boast that he might be glorified, but that they might, again, be ministered to. He had to defend his own calling when they should have seen it. Who had planted the church in Corinth? Paul. Paul was their pastor. Paul had planted the church. They'd seen God. Now these guys come in and now all of a sudden they don't want to hear it. And he said, you know what? You should have seen it. You should have been the ones encouraging me and defending me, not attacking me. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Here Paul says, you know what? As a church, you were blessed. When, when, when the church was planted years ago, God was doing great things here. And you know what? Signs and wonders took place here. And you were inferior in no way. The only way you were inferior is that you never supported your pastor. You never gave. He said, but other than that, you were blessed in all ways. And yet here you are, taking your eyes off of Almighty God. They did not give to support Paul in the ministry. Why? He did not want to burden them. And at the same time, these eminent apostles demanded large fees in order, again, to speak. Verse 14. Now for the third time I am ready to come, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. This is Paul referring to himself as their father spiritually. And he says, you know what? I don't want your stuff. I want you. I don't want to come and take from you. I want to come and minister to you. That's the heart of a pastor. Amen? If you see a ministry that all all they want to do is take from you, all they're ever telling you is all their needs, instead of ministering to yours, run away. Amen? And again, we should give. God's called us to give, but we give from a cheerful heart, 
out of love for the Lord, not manipulated by man. But here's the thing, a true ministry, the true sign of a ministry that God's hand is upon is they're looking to minister to you, not take from you. Their heart is, how can I love you? And this is Paul, he said, look, I'm coming for you, not for yours. Not for your stuff, for you. Because I love you, because I care about you. Paul sought not to be ministered to, but to minister. Came out of love for them. Verse 16, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. And I love this. Others come to smite you on the face, to take your money, to do things to you. And he says, you know what, you know why I come? I come to pour out my life for you. The previous two verses, again, are the greatest picture of ministry to me. Great summary of what ministry ought to be all about. Again, sent to bless, not to burden. To esteem others greater than yourself. To love unconditionally. To spend until you're spent. To lay down your life completely for others. What would happen to Santa Cruz if that was just the people in this room? If we would just start saying, Lord, it's not about me. You know what, can I tell you something? People will come and say, you know, I'm not coming to, I don't go to church anymore because I don't get my needs met. You know what? You go to minister, not just to be ministered to. Amen? We all ought to have that heart. Let's finish up. But be that as it may, I do not burden you, nevertheless being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Again, the false apostles accused Paul of being crafty. They said that he was not taking money, but he was really going to steal from them. He was really going to take from them when he got the collection for the Jews. He says there in verse 17, Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. What was Paul's motive for ministry? His love for people. His love for God and his love for people. Paul wasn't looking for attaboys. Paul wasn't looking to have the people pat him on the back and tell him how wonderful he was. He said, you know what? I'm coming because I love you. I'm going to pour out my life for you. Again, with the eternal focus, being kept humble by Almighty God and having a burden for the people. What a, what a great formula or testimony for someone who can be used mightily by God. Amen? Because when that's our heart, God can do great things with us. Last two verses. For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall... Be found, be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions and jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceit, tumults, lest when I come again my God will, will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. Here's the thing. To Paul... His, his main concern in coming to them was to see repentance and them serving God again. And he said, you know what? There's a part of me that doesn't want to come because when I come, if there's been no repentance, then righteous judgment will follow. You know what? The Lord would say the same thing to us this morning. The Lord desires that we would turn away from our sin and turn our eyes upon Him and walk with Him with our whole hearts. But if we reject Him and reject Him and reject Him, then righteous judgment will come. We don't want to hear that. You know, pastor, you shouldn't talk about that because people won't come back to your church. They don't want to be told about righteous judgment. They just want to be told how wonderful they are. And they want to sit in soft chairs, so you're out of luck. You're 0 for 2, right? The point is that we need to be warned about it so we need not face it. Amen? That God does care that we walk in obedience. God does have a plan and a desire for our life. 
If things hadn't changed, it would be, again, heavy when Paul came. So, in closing, sources of true success in ministry. How to be faithful and fruitful in the times of difficulty. Number one, have an eternal focus. Truly have a longing for heaven. Really, have a longing for heaven. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? I'm looking forward to that. Not a list of things I'd like to do before I have to go to heaven. Heaven's a get-to. Not a have-to. Amen? It's going to be greater than we think. Remaining desperate for God. Remaining humble and desperate for God. For when we are weak, He is made strong. Remember that. Next time you're at the end of yourself, you're spent laboring for the Lord. Just realize, okay, this is when God's going to work. When there's no more of me getting in the way. And then lastly, having a great love and a burden for people. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness, etc. Can I encourage you? May we love each other supernaturally. I love the agape feast we're about to have, the love feast. We ought to be loving on each other, amen? We ought to be encouraging each other. Christianity is not for an hour and a half a week. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now we're going to go to a time of communion. And as we do, I just want to say this briefly. The worship team, why don't you guys come on up? During this time of communion, here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have membership. Why? Well, because if you're a born-again Christian, you're our family. Amen? When we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. What is communion? What is the Lord's Supper? What, three things quickly. It's reflecting back to the cross, looking to the cross of Christ. May the cross of Christ never grow common. Amen? May we never take it for granted. But also, as we look back to the cross, we should also look within and examine our own hearts before the Lord. Take this as a time of saying before God, Lord, reveal in me anything that needs to change. Come with a repentant and a broken heart. And then lastly, looking forward to when we will be in heaven with Him, as He told the apostles, this is the last time I'm going to take this with you until I take it with you again in heaven. So this is for believers. If you're here and you're a Christian, this is for you. Someone say, well, am I disqualified from taking communion? Only if you don't know the Lord. Because this is a picture of the work of the cross. But you can come to the Lord even now. Just say, confess you're a sinner and ask Him to be your Savior. So what we do here again, the worship team is going to play a couple songs. Just come up and grab the elements. Go back to your seat. Take a few moments again with the Lord. Examine your own heart before Him. Take communion with your wife, with your family if you want to. And then at the end of that, we'll, we'll dismiss and we'll head out and have lunch together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You. And I do pray... Lord, for the word today, may we have an eternal focus. May we be men and women, Lord, who, are, who walk in desperation and humility. And Lord, may we have a supernatural love for the world around us. Father, as you go to this time of communion, may we not take it lightly. But Lord, may we, again, be still and know that you're God. Have that intimate fellowship with you. Look back to the cross with thanksgiving. Lord, without the cross, we'd all be doomed. And we thank you, Lord, that it's not just the cross, but three days later you rose from the dead proving yourself to be God. Lord, I pray as we take the bread, a representation of your body broken for us, and the juice who shed blood which redeemed us from our sin. Lord, again, that we'd look back, we'd look within, and we'd look forward. We love you and we praise you. May this be an act of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.